0: This episode features dramatizations of gore and discussions of colonialism, anti-blackness, and noir. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Please note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single depiction of the Yant, Lugaru, Volan, Old Hag, or Jean Gaget, Today's episode combines elements from a number of Caribbean and African diaspora legends and stories for dramatic effect. Hello everyone, I'm Vanessa Richardson and welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. We continue our Halloween tour through the dream realm of fear, leaving the man-eating mares of Diomedes for warmer waters, but perhaps deeper chills. This is Mythical Monsters, Nightmare Creatures. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Today, we head to the Caribbean to meet a monster with many names. The Sukuyant is a unique take on the vampire with an incendiary twist, an old crone by day, a boogie woman at night, and a hunger that cannot be tamed. Coming up, we meet a vampire made of fire.
1: New season out on Spotify soon.
0: The legends of the Caribbean are about terror and transformation, and the Sukuyant is no exception. During the day, she lives in the guise of an old woman, but at night, she sheds her skin, hides it in some kind of mortar, then ventures out in her true form a red fireball with an insatiable thirst for blood. While the connection to the vampire is obvious, it's impossible to trace the Sucuyant's origins in a concrete way. The history of the Caribbean is one of colonialism, the slave trade, and forced assimilation. Its legends are often heavily impacted by exploitation and show the influence of many regions. This is how the vampiric shapeshifter known as the Sucuyant has come by so many names. She is the Lugorou in French Haiti, Old Hag in islands like Barbados that have ties to Britain. In Suriname, she is the Asema. In Saint Lucia, the Jean Gaget. Africa has some concepts of blood-sucking monsters, usually dating from after their first contact with European occupiers. But the sukuyant is a strange mix of vampire and the femme-coded witch, secretly working spells to sabotage the community. She frightens young and old, colonized and colonizer alike. Like a European fae, she can be slowed down by spilling a bowl of rice. She'll be forced to count every grain before pursuing you but the only real way to stop a sukuyant is to find her peeled off skin and sabotage it before she returns to it in the morning. Still, you have to be quick. You have to finish before she sucks you dry. Desiree was the most beautiful woman in all of the Caribbean. Suitors came from faraway seas to kiss her hand and buy her drinks, but she always turned them away. The only person she allowed to stay was Captain Stevens. He was a pirate and regaled her with stories about his adventures. He loved her, and she loved him. But when Desiree's dress grew tight— They both agreed that Tortuga was no place for a baby, so she let Captain Stevens take her away, away from her home, her island, and her mother. Desiree and Captain Stevens lived together in a little house in his homeland of England. It was dark, blandly colored, and it rained often, but it was safe. When their daughter was born, they named her Maxine. They loved her very much, but as much as Desiree tried, she couldn't quite explain why she and her mother were so different. All their neighbors looked like Captain Stevens, pale and freckled with wispy hair. Maxine's lips and nose were wider than the other children's, and her hair was another thing altogether, deep brown like a walnut tree and just as thick. It framed her face with large and often unruly curls. Desiree let her grow it as long as she wanted. So by the time she was 10, Maxine had a lion's mane. Her mother taught her to braid and wrap it to keep it safe from the water. It was their little ritual. Her mother did her hair and Maxine did Desiree's. Desiree always promised that they would move back to Tortuga, Both she and Captain Stevens liked it better there, but piracy was a dangerous profession in the 17th century. He decided to volunteer for the Navy. She booped Maxine's nose. Your father wants to make sure we're safe and well-fed, even if taking orders makes him feel like he has salt beneath his skin. Maxine asked her mom what she meant by that. Desiree replied, like he feels out of place and itchy. Maxine told her mother that that was how she felt all the time, but she didn't understand why. Desiree looked at her kindly and sadly. Soon, you and I will go to a magical place, a place where you will feel at home. But that time didn't come. Just before Maxine turned 13, the fever took her mother. Maxine cried for a week straight. She didn't speak. She didn't eat. When her father asked how she was feeling, all she could say was, Who's going to do my hair? This woke him from his grief. Captain Stevens packed up their things and hugged her tight. I don't know yet, but we're going home. The journey took two months, but eventually the dark Atlantic gave way to bright and blue waters. Maxine saw the bustling dock, the colorful buildings that made up Tortuga. She smelled salt, sugar, rum, and roasted meat. She'd never seen so many skin tones or so many people that looked like her and her mother. She pointed at a woman walking along the dock in brown pants and a loose flowing shirt. Papa, she has my hair. Captain Stevens squeezed Maxine's shoulder, smiling for the first time since Desiree died. People crowded the dock to get a glimpse of them, Captain Stevens and his daughter, the child of their beloved Desiree Desprey, had returned. They cooed at how much Maxine looked like her mother. So beautiful. Only one person stayed back, waiting beneath a palm tree, preferring to stay in the shadows. She was an old woman with skin the color of fertile earth and dark, round eyes, just like Maxine's. One of the colorfully dressed girls, who Captain Stevens called Henriette, shouted to the stranger, Mama Mano, come meet your granddaughter. Mama Mano shook her head, glaring daggers at Maxine's father. I've got no granddaughter, no daughter either. The smile dropped from Maxine's face, her mother had told her there would be a hero's welcome. For the first time since they'd left England, Maxine felt unwanted. She called out, "'My mother is dead!' Mama Mano waved Maxine's pain away like it was a fly. "'Been that way for a long time, girl. Thirteen years, I'd say.' Then she turned and walked towards the jungle, Captain Stevens placed a soft hand on Maxine's shoulder. Don't worry about her. Mama and I have many friends here. So do you, too. It's hard to befriend the town witch. Maxine looked up at him. A witch? Like she knows magic? I don't believe you. Captain Stevens let out a dry laugh. It's true, little Max. Maxine told herself not to worry about it. Like her father had said, she had many new friends. Her grandmother didn't know her, and she didn't know her grandmother. It was Mama Mano's loss. Maxine's father had secured them a villa on a hill above the town. It was breezy and sprawling, all on one floor. Wide window frames with no glass opened out to lush fields. Neat rows of coffee and cassava extended into the distance. Maxine wanted to explore, but Captain Stevens said they had to eat dinner with his friends. They chatted and caroused deep into the night. When Captain Stevens finally remembered to send everyone home and get Maxine to bed, it was already past midnight. Maxine was supposed to sleep, but she had other plans. She could hear her father snoring before she'd even wrapped her hair. Now was the perfect time to explore. The moon was wonderfully full. She put on her boots and let her hair swing free. She ran between the coffee and cassava. Then she saw light rising over the hill. It was a flame glowing from deep red to orange and white. It bobbed on the wind, moving steadily towards her, like it had a mind of its own. Maxine threw herself to the ground, crawling on her hands and knees into the row of leafy coffee plants. The flaming orb sailed over her and towards the house, towards her father's room. It moved faster than Maxine's legs could. She was still 20 feet away when it disappeared through the open window, Maxine prepared for the house to erupt in flame, but all was dark again. She paused, listening. There was nothing at first, just the cool breeze through the trees and the insects singing their song. But then she heard it, a strange sucking, slurping, slinking sound. Maxine crept to her father's window and looked up over the sill. A flaming corpse loomed over her father, sniffing like a wolf. It had the body of a woman, but skinned, all muscle exposed. Fire licked every inch of her sinew, yet neither she nor Maxine's father burned. Two sharp, white teeth extended down from the skinless woman's lips. She lifted up Captain Stevens' wrist. Then she bit down hard. Maxine expected her father to leap up and go for his flintlock, but slept peacefully. The skinless woman slurped and sucked at his skin, her lips staining red. The metallic smell of blood filled the air. Maxine gasped. Instantly, the skinless woman turned. Maxine ducked down below the windowsill, clamping her mouth. The slurping had stopped entirely. Maxine heard only the crackle of heat moving closer and closer towards the window. Maxine prayed silently to herself, slowly raising her eyes to look up. An eerie orange glow radiated out from the window, The woman's heavy, wet breaths grew louder and louder, and tears streamed down Maxine's face. Soon, the skinless woman's flaming head looked out the open window. Maxine could hear the heavy, wet breaths getting louder and louder. Then, the skinless woman stuck her flaming head out of the open window. The monster was right above her. It could kill her in an instant. All it had to do was look down. Coming up, Maxine searches for an exit and for answers. Since the beginning of time,
1: people have wanted to believe in an afterlife. Hi, listeners, I'm Shelby Scott. In Mediums, a new Spotify original from Parcast, I take a closer look at the mortal lives of spiritualists who claim to communicate with the dead, and the scientists who tried to debunk them. This eight-episode series looks at paranormal events proven to be hoaxes, and those which have mystified even the world's greatest skeptics. Mixing history, mystery, and social psychology Mediums asks how these self-proclaimed psychics pulled off the illusion of interacting with the dead, even under a microscope of criticism. Were they all simply peddling parlor tricks, or was there something truly paranormal going on? Break out your Ouija board, dust off your crystal ball, or light some candles, because ParCast is ready to reveal what's really known about the unknown. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Mediums, Summon new episodes every Wednesday, free and only on
0: Spotify. Now back to the story. Maxine held her breath. She pressed her back against the wall of the villa as hard as she could, wishing she could dissolve into shadow itself. Just above her, the head of a flaming, skinless woman squinted at the darkness, as if searching for the someone that had seen it feed. The woman's fire hissed and popped, but Maxine stayed quiet. Finally, after what felt like an eternity, the sound faded to a crackle. A moment later, the fireball floated out the window, down the hill to the town. The creature was gone, but Maxine still couldn't let herself breathe. She wanted to run to her father, to bury herself in his warm hug and to ask him what on earth was going on. But her heart sank. What if her father was dead? What if that thing came back? She didn't remember falling asleep, but she was still below the window when her father called her name in the morning. Maxine jumped up and ran into his arms, weeping. You're all right, you're all right. Captain Stevens was taken aback, but he hugged her all the same. You have a nightmare, little Max? Maxine found herself crying again. It was horrible. This thing was eating you up and it was on fire. Captain Stevens shushed her and squeezed her to his chest. Maxine took in her father's warmth, trying to convince herself that it was only a dream. But then she looked down at his wrist. Two small pinpricks hovered over the visible vein. A bruise was forming around them. Maxine grabbed his wrist. See? It got you! Captain Stevens examined the bite and shook his head. We've got some horrible spiders here, Max, but don't worry. The bigger the bite, the less the danger. Let's head into town. There's some people I'd like you to meet. Maxine protested, but her father wouldn't hear of it. So she got dressed and headed down the hill to a bright blue building that held the tavern. The friends were nice, though a bit oddly dressed. They had the usual long coats and three-cornered hats, but their clothes were accented with bits of colorful calico. Normally, Maxine liked watching her father plan adventures on the high seas, but she felt different once again. She couldn't laugh. All she thought about was the creature. She'd thought this place would be home. Instead, it had become a dangerous nightmare. The skinless woman could come back. She needed to find someone who would believe her, someone who would know what to do. She needed to see the town witch. So once her father and Captains Rackham and Boney were deep in conversation, Maxine slipped out the back of the building and went looking for her grandmother. People did not like the idea of her going there, but were kind enough to tell her where Mama Mano lived. It was a small shack at the edge of the village, just before the forest. She couldn't miss it. When Maxine arrived, her grandmother was tending a small garden in the front yard. An angry-looking chicken did its best to hinder her weeding. Maxine decided to speak first. You look a lot like Mama, Mama Mano nudged the chicken away from some struggling yams. So do you. She sat down. You and your father shouldn't be here. It's not a place for you. Maxine's brow furrowed. There's no place for me. I don't fit anywhere. Mama Mano laughed. You've got your mother's smile, so you'll find a place. You're no sukuyant. Maxine blinked in confusion. What's a sukuyant?" Mama Mano smiled. A bloodsucker. By day, she looks just like you and me, but at night, she slips off her skin and goes hunting, all aflame. Now go away. She shoved the chicken at Maxine. Maxine sidestepped the feathered assailant, but she was reeling. The creature she'd seen had to be a sukuyant, But would Mama Mano help her if she asked outright? She really wasn't sure. If I see a sukuyat, how do I stop it? Mama Mano paused. She gripped her walking stick and stood up. You don't. You can delay it by putting out some rice for it to count, but the only way to kill it is to find its skin, which no one can, so she offered a far too merry shrug. A shiver of fear danced up Maxine's spine. Can you help me with it? Mama Mano nudged the chicken again. I'm talking to you, aren't I? That's more help than I'd give your father, and that's all the help I'll give you. Maybe ask yourself why the Sukuyad is hungry. Then she went into the house and shut the door. That night, Maxine tried to convince her father to stay up. If he saw it, he'd have to believe her. But he told her she was letting her grief run away with her. That the monster wasn't real. He sent her to bed and closed the door to his room. Soon, she heard snoring. If he didn't believe her, she'd have to try what her grandmother recommended. So Maxine tiptoed to the kitchen, scooped some rice into a pot, then snuck into her father's room. She quietly spread the rice in a circle around him and crouched behind the screen in his dressing room. Then she waited in the dark for something to come over the hill. And come it did... The fireball zipped over the field, flew towards the house, and slid through the window. Maxine shivered. What if the sukuyant saw the rice and decided to attack her instead? But it didn't. Instead, it bent and stretched into the skinless woman. When her red feet hit the ground, she bent down. Then she began to count the rice grain by grain. Mama Mano had been right. The rice would keep the sukuyat occupied, at least for a while. But how long? And what could Maxine do when it was done? What could her father do if he woke? Maxine wasn't sure he would wake at all. The first attack had been so violent, and he hadn't stirred. Maybe he was under some spell? Mama Mano had said the only way to stop the sukuyat was to find its skin. So that was what she had to do. Maxine didn't want to leave her father, but if she had any hope of saving him in the long run, she needed her grandmother's help. Mama Mano had been awfully knowledgeable. There had to be something she hadn't told Maxine. She'd beg, plead, cajole, threaten, anything to get an answer. But she had to get out of the house first. Only a few feet stood between Maxine and the Sukuyant. How much attention could the rice truly hold for the monster? There was only one way to know. Maxine let out a soft whistle. The Sukuyant paused, looking this way and that. When there was no motion, the skinless creature returned to its counting. Maxine took a small step towards the door, The Sukuyant didn't leave the rice. Maxine took another step. The Sukuyant kept counting. Bit by bit, Maxine made it to the hall. She put on her boots and her coat over her nightgown. Then she ran down the hill all the way to her grandmother's. The shack was dark when she approached. Though the moon was close to full, the light seemed not to reach here. The chicken blinked at her from its coop. Maxine told herself it was only because of the jungle, nothing else, then knocked on the door. There was no answer. Maxine knocked again. There was no response but silence. She called Mama Mano's name. Again, nothing. She pushed on the door herself. It opened. It was exactly as Maxine imagined a witch's house would look. The thick curtains kept out all light. Herbs and dried flowers hung from the ceiling. Specimens blinked at her from jars. The bed looked slept in. Something bubbled in the fireplace. Maxine called out again, Mother Mano? But the one-room cottage was empty. Maxine couldn't stop now. Her father needed her help. Maybe there was some tool here that could tear the skin if she found it. Some spell or potion she could use to slow the monster down or break the sleeping spell it had put on her father. Maxine checked the books first. There were only three, and they were old and dusty. The pages were stuck together with some sort of sap. She perused the texts, but all she found were recipes for ointments and poultices, folk medicine and magic but not the kind she needed. She lifted the jars to examine them. She smelled the substance in the pot. It was earthy and heavy and green, like Mama Mano had brewed the forest itself. A small piece of something brown floated to the top. A familiar smell hit her nose. Pork, her grandmother had made T'Chaka, a Haitian stew that had always been her mother's favorite. Maxine's eyes stung. She was running out of time. If her father survived the night, the Suku would feed on him again. She couldn't believe her grandmother was being so selfish. This was a matter of life and death. She let out an angry groan, then flopped on the bed, tears slid down her cheeks as she turned her head towards the fire. But as her eyes glanced past the pillow, she noticed something. There was a shape beneath the sheets. Maxine pulled the blankets back. She wasn't sure what she was seeing at first. It looked like tanned leather with roughly torn holes. She lifted it with a shaking hand and and held it up to the firelight. It was a woman's skin. The woman's skin. The Sukuyant. Maxine retched, but she forced herself to look closer. She knew that face, even carved out and empty, it belonged to Mama Mano. Coming up, Maxine fights for her father's life. Now, back to the story. Maxine dropped Mama Mano's skin in panic. It was too bizarre to believe. The monster that had attacked her father was none other than her mother's mother. Her grandmother was a Sukuyant. Maxine forced herself to breathe. Now that she knew this, she needed a solution, and she didn't know when the monster would return to her hiding place. Maxine heard a familiar crack and pop, flames licking at a skinless form. An orange glow forced its way through the gap in the curtains. The suku yacht was close. Maxine looked around, panicking. This was probably her only chance with the skin before she was discovered. She pulled at it, but it wouldn't rip or tear. Her eyes darted about the room. In a fit of inspiration, they fell to the food. She remembered what her mother always said about her father. Serving the Navy made him feel like there was salt beneath his skin. She grabbed the salt and pepper from beside the stew pot and sprinkled as much as she could into the skin. Then she placed it back under the covers and dove below the bed. An eerie silence set in. Maxine wondered if she'd imagined it all. Maybe her grandmother wasn't a monster. Maybe Mama Mano had been planning to destroy the skin herself. Maybe she'd had a change of heart and she was racing up to Maxine's house. Maybe they'd only misunderstood each other. Maybe she'd dreamed it all. The door swung open. The flaming orb stretched again, emitting an ugly, wet squelch as it took its true form, a fiery, skinless version of Mama Mano. Maxine's chest was tight as the flaming feet approached the bed. She heard rustling as the sheets pulled away, then a pause. The feet shifted slightly, They stepped forward and back, searching. A fire-covered hand reached below the bed and hauled Maxine out, lifting her up into the air. Maxine didn't burn, but the air around her crackled with heat. She could barely form words. Her toes dangled a few inches above the floor. Grandmother, please. Mama Mano's flames shook and snapped with rage. What are you doing here? Maxine gulped. I just wanted help for father. I won't tell anyone, I promise. Mama Mano growled. No, you won't. You won't say anything ever again. You shouldn't even be here. Maxine pleaded. I'll get father to take us far away. I'll never bother you again. Mama wouldn't want this." The Sukuyot paused. The flames flickered white hot. She touched Maxine's hair slowly, softly, her gaze far away. Then she lowered Maxine to the ground beside the bed. What do you think your mother would want? You think she wants you here? She wanted whatever that worthless pirate wanted, and it killed her. Coward. Maxine felt anger grow in her belly. Why do you hate her so much? Because she left you? Mama Mano growled at her. You'll never understand. Maxine nodded, voice defiant. You're right, I won't, because you won't tell me. Her grandmother watched her, her large eyeballs strained against the exposed muscles. You wanna understand how I feel? Maxine set her jaw the way her father did when he was angry. Yes. Her grandmother grabbed her wrist. It was rough and painful at first, but then it felt like sinking into a warm bath. The Sukuyant brought Maxine's arm to her lips, Her fangs protruded, then she bit down, blood flowed. Maxine felt pain wash over her for only a moment. Then it was soothing, like spinning around in a field before falling onto soft grass. She reached for the sukuyant, but all she felt was the warm breath of her grandmother's flames. She fell back on the bed, her vision swimming, The world closed in around her. She heard the lull of soft waves and her mother humming a lullaby. Her grandmother dropped her wrist. Maxine felt cold. She squirmed a little as her grandmother reached beneath her for her skin. Maxine forced her eyes open. It was fuzzy, but she could see her grandmother's silhouette in the half light. The Sukuyat was itching, groaning, flailing, screaming. Suddenly, bright sunlight flooded the room. Smoke filled the cottage. Maxine coughed, giddy from blood loss and exhaustion. The last thing she saw was Mama Mano's eyes. Even burned, they looked so much like her own. Maxine's eyelids fluttered. Someone was stroking her hair. She forced her eyes open to see her father, pale as a ghost. Henriette, she's awake. Henriette muscled in and placed a soft washcloth on Maxine's forehead. You're all right, Cherie, you're all right. Maxine blinked, trying to force the sleep from her eyes. Where's Mama Mano? Henriette and her father shared a look. He spoke gently. She died in the fire, little dove. I'm sorry. Maxine felt tears stinging her eyes, but she wasn't sure if they were from anger, loss, or something in between. Captain Stevens fussed over Maxine for the rest of the day. He fed her soup as the sun sank in the sky. Then he tucked her into bed rest now mama's watching over you he kissed her on the head and closed the door behind him maxine watched the horizon go from red to pink to purple and then the deepest blue the stars appeared this place really was paradise she didn't understand why her parents had left why her mother had surrounded her with people who didn't understand her People who hurt her, sometimes even when they didn't mean to. Maxine could have grown up in the place she deserved, a place she could call home. It wasn't fair. She deserved better. She felt a scratching beneath her skin. Something split at the back of her neck. Her skin curled away like the jaws of a carnivorous flower. Maxine felt the cool night air touch her muscles. They ignited with flame. Her teeth grew and her hunger right along with them. Suddenly, she understood. Maxine shrunk into a ball of flame and let the wind take her. She needed to feed. Vampirism can symbolize many, many things. It can be a manifestation of xenophobia, sexual deviance, or even a metaphor for addiction. But ultimately, a vampire is a parasite, a boundary-crosser who takes more from society than they give back. Being a member of the African diaspora demands communal thinking. When your homeland and even your whole culture has been torn from you, you have little choice but to come together and build a community. But the Sukuyat rejects this shared community responsibility. She steals from those around her, literally sucking their life force away. In her daytime form, the Sukuyant is a recluse living just outside the village. The monster might walk among you, but she generally chooses not to. That is yet another thing that makes her monstrous, a refusal to participate in society. She is selfishness and self-isolation, incarnate. And yet scholar Giselle Liza Anatol makes a very important point in her book, The Things That Fly in the Night. The black feminine vampire is a figure of particular danger because so much of society leans on keeping black women in their place. They're expected to serve and protect others at the expense of their comfort, mental health, and even safety. Maybe it's not just the Sukuyan's supernatural abilities that give us nightmares. Perhaps it's what she says about our world that really frightens us. Caribbean women of the African diaspora face demands from all sides. Refusing to meet them is its own form of deviance. We might even see the traditional way of killing the Sukuyant by salting her skin so it's too uncomfortable to wear as a metaphor for the discomfort of being an Afro-Caribbean woman in the post-colonial world. When the Sukuyant is seen as a rebel, she's destroyed. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with another nightmare creature. For more information on the Suku amongst the many sources we used, we found Giselle Liza Anatols' The Things That Fly in the Night, female vampires in literature of the Circum-Caribbean and African diaspora, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Lil DeRitter and Jen Richet, with writing assistance by Stacey Nemec and Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson.
1: Hi. I'm Shelby Scott, host of Mediums, a new Spotify original from Parcast. You can join me Wednesdays as I dive into the world of spiritualism and the women that defined it. We'll explore everything from obvious con artists to 150-year-old mysteries. It'll be a fascinating journey, so be sure to follow my new podcast, Mediums, free and only on
0: Spotify.